Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Well, thank you. Well, good morning and greetings from Tennessee, where it's just about as cold there as it is here. So, uh, great to be here. And this is really my third Sunday that I have visited uh, here with you. The first was on Super Bowl Sunday a couple of years ago, which was your your missions uh, weekend, and got to experience this church family for the first time. And then, as Daniel said last year, I was here this same time on I think it was it was a mental health message last year from a guest speaker, and it was wonderful. And yeah, we, we've been plotting this for about a year now. But the main thing that I do for Emmanuel, the seminary, is I roam around the country visiting alumni and donors to the seminary and anybody that will hear me talk. And a lot of what I do is express gratitude for uh, what the Lord has done through the seminary and the people that have supported it in f- with financially and in prayers. And so we are very grateful uh, to the First Christian Church of Roseburg for the long partnership that we've had starting all the way back in the Arlene days. And also, um, Let's see, a buddy of mine named Barney Weimer uh, says that he comes from these parts as well as I believe a young fellow named Jim Keefe. And so this church has a strong legacy in the faith and in the Christian church in these parts, but also connected to Emmanuel Christian Seminary. Uh, in Emmanuel, we have uh, sort of been recovering from the pandemic gut punch of the last couple of years and are kind of coming out of that. And it is a good thing to see the Lord being faithful to to carry us through what's been a tough time for, frankly, all of us. And we are working on some new innovative ways to offer the kind of education that we've offered now for 57 years in some new ways so that people like Daniel and Darren and maybe some of you could receive an Emmanuel education without having to move across the country and transplant. And so I'd be happy to answer any questions any of you might have about that. But thank you for supporting Emmanuel and for keeping us in your prayers. And uh, the Lord is good. Today, uh, Gratitude Sunday uh, comes not by any mistake. Uh, I guess it's four days now until the big day. How many of you here are four days away from eating some turkey and showing your gratitude to God by eating enormous amounts of turkey? Okay. It's okay to admit that. I talked to someone the other day who was telling me their Thanksgiving plans, and they said that they were having several kinds of meat, but not turkey. And I kind of nodded my head like, yeah, that's, that's great, but inside. <laughs> inside, I was like, wait a minute, are you even American? I mean, is that... Is that legal to do that? Anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward to turkey. How many of you uh, will give thanks in some way on Thursday for the blessings that you have been given? And that will be a good thing. Okay, good, 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 good. Uh, how many of you will at some point Thursday fall asleep without even trying to fall asleep? Okay, all right, here, here. Um, 
How many of you at some point on Thursday will look around at the family members or friends that you're with and go, these people are crazy. (laughs) Am I related? Okay, yeah. If you have one of them sitting next to you, just shake your head and say, no, no, not like that. But, But we know, we know. How many of you Thursday are looking forward to giving thanks and being thankful and then not having to do that again for 365 more days? Okay, well, the idea of Gratitude Sunday is that we want to be grateful this coming Thursday. We really do. But we also want to be grateful as a way of life, as an expression of our faith. We want to be grateful as as the Bible tells us to do in all circumstances. And that's kind of the focus of today is looking at some context that we need to be grateful in. And I, I, I specifically use that phrase, need to be grateful, because it's more than a want to be grateful. As a Christian, if I'm really who the Lord says that I am. And if the Lord has done for me what the Bible says that he's done for me and what what I can look around and acknowledge that he's done for me, then I need to be grateful as a response to that. Not just this kind of general feeling in my heart, but I need to express that gratitude. I need to find ways to run to people in need and to lift up the name of Jesus and to serve in ways that say that what we talk about here is not just a story, it's the reality of our lives. Well, the first story that I will look look at today of several stories in the Bible is one that I've got to admit has always kind of bugged me, okay? It's one of those stories in the Bible that it's not of great consequence that it bugs me, it's just kind of a side story, a little story in, in, in the book of 2 Samuel, but the reality is that There's just something about it that seems almost not right to me when I first read it. And so uh, it's in 2 Samuel 23, verses 13 through 17. It'll be up on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible. But it's from the life of David and in his his, his kingship and the mighty men that followed him around. Actually, this takes place before he becomes king. And it says this, during harvest time, Three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. The Philistines are big and bad and dangerous, so they're not in a good place. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Okay, so this is David's hometown. This is where he grew up. This is where he was a shepherd boy. This was his anchor place from where he went and, and killed Goliath and all that kind of stuff. And so, man, he, he wants some of that really good water from Bethlehem, from the well there. And so what's ha- what happens next is amazing. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines. They drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and they carried it back to David. Now, I got this water from a Starbucks, so it is valuable, expensive water. Um, It's the closest thing that I could come to really holy, valuable water in our society. Um, So David got this. I mean, they, they, at the risk of their lives, they broke through 
And they got him this water and they brought it to him. And David undid the cap. And no, that's not what he did at all. But he refused to drink it. Wait, 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 wait. What? He refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Now, I brought along a little um, recycling container thing from my hotel room. (laughs) Valuable water. Poured out. That's $2.50 worth of water. That's just, it's no good anymore. Well, David poured it out on the ground. Poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Now, I kind of get it. I kind of get what's happening here, but there's this part of me that's like, how did those three guys feel about this? All they wanted was to give their leader a taste of that water that he had a hunkering for, and he doesn't drink any of it. He won't drink any of it. He pours it out in front of them before the Lord. Well, that's one way to give thanks. Keep that in your mind as we look at three contexts that I want, and not I want, I need to give thanks in the midst of. First one I want to look at today is this, I need to give thanks in the midst of blessing. I need to give thanks in the midst of blessing. Anybody in here been blessed in some way? Okay, good, good, good. A few of us in here. Um, All of us, the reality is, is that we have been blessed. Now, the truth of the matter is that some of us have been blessed immensely lately. I mean, if you made the prayer list with a Thanksgiving, you have had a great week of blessing. For some of us, today is a fairly ordinary day. It's not the, the best day of our lives, maybe, but it's a pretty good day. It's a pretty okay day. We may have some aches and pains and things like that, but overall things are going pretty well. And I need to give thanks in the midst of my days of what we would call great blessing and the, 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 the midst of the days that I would call days of ordinary blessing. You know, I woke up today and I was free. I, 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 was, I woke up today in America, and I was able to get in a car and to borrow my little recycled trash can from the nice hotel room that I was staying in, and I came down here uh, on a beautiful stretch of road and am able to be here today with you, and all of us were able to get up out of bed today and probably put some food in our stomachs or coffee or things like that, and we have clothes to wear. We're in a place that has heat. All around us, there are blessings I like the song that we sang earlier, we can count those. We can take inventory of those. And if we try to, we'll never really get to the end of the list. Now, I know that, but I still struggle with being truly thankful 
in the midst of my ordinary days, the midst of my blessing days. And I struggle with expressing that and giving thanks and letting that come out of me in ways that are an offering to God and an offering to others, the service to others. I'm at least encouraged by the fact that I'm not the only one who struggles with this. Luke chapter 17, verses 15 through 17, We're going to read here in just a second, but it's a story that many of us are familiar with. It's a good Thanksgiving uh, text. Ten lepers walking along the road, come along to Jesus, and Jesus heals all ten of them. Jesus heals all ten of them. All ten of them are having the best day of their lives. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, it would be like number one thing on the Thanksgiving prayer list at their church that Sunday was that they, moments before, had a disease that was going to kill them and that ostracized them and it took them out of every good situation that they could possibly have wanted to be in. And in a moment, Jesus, with a word, healed them And they had a new life. But verses 15 through 17 says this, one of them, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And side note, he was a Samaritan. He was like the, he would have been voted as the least likely of the 10 to be the one that would come back and give thanks to a Jewish rabbi. Now he he comes back and he does it. And Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And so here's what I learned from that is this, there's always a choice. When it comes to being grateful, to having gratitude in my heart, and to laying that gratitude out of my heart and expressed to God and in service to others. There's always a choice. I mean, in every moment, I've got that choice. Do I express gratitude to God or do I take what he's given me and just drink it? And, you know, he he gave it to me. It's mine. I drank it. It's good, right? Nine lepers. Now, what's interesting is I've always wanted a sequel to that story where Jesus snaps his finger and nine ungrateful lepers get unhealed. But that didn't happen. No, I really didn't want that to happen. But it seems like that would be justice. Reality is this. I really don't get punished for my ingratitude. I mean, God does not treat me as I deserve when I'm not grateful to him like I should be. But I believe that the leper who came back, the former leper who came back and was thankful, had a different piece in his life, a different trajectory to his life than the other nine that bypassed that choice, that step. Well, all around me, I have opportunities to do this. And I look at that sometimes in in ways that maybe not that consequential. Should I pray before every meal? How many of you in here would feel like really weird if you ate a meal that wasn't like prayed for? 
Okay, I mean, some of us, I mean, it is so ingrained into us, we stop and we give thanks. How many of you have ever prayed for a meal where, frankly, you weren't even thinking about what you were praying, and you might not have even been that grateful, you just said the words that you're supposed to say before you eat? Well, I've done that, I do that, and I've got to stop. It's always a choice, even when I'm making technically the right choice, because good Christians, man, we pray before meals. No, there's, there's, there's more to gratitude than that. There's a choice that says, am I acknowledging that I've been given something? I've been given something that technically I haven't earned, I don't deserve, a lot of people don't have this, and God is in this meal. God is in this bedtime. God is in this moment that I can stop and be truly grateful and give thanks to him. When we sing today, you know, there's a choice. I have become an expert over the last 40 some years of being a Christian of singing on autopilot. How many of you have sung on autopilot before where your lips are moving, the words are coming out, you're on the screen, but the compartment of your mind that's kind of really engaging is thinking about something else. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand if you were thinking about Russ's birthday cake while we were singing today, you know? Because maybe that was a form of gratitude. I don't know. Reality is this. In every moment of blessing, and there are a lot of them, we have the opportunity to do what the one former leper did, to return, to stop, to take a moment and to say, God, I, I praise you to throw ourselves at his feet in one way or another. Am I going to give thanks in the midst of blessing? I need to give thanks in the midst of blessing. Second context is this. It's a tougher one. I need to give thanks in the midst of pain. I need to give thanks in the midst of pain. Now, the reality is this. You all look really good today. From where I stand, you all look good but all of us have our things. We've got our issues. And there are some of us, frankly, that are going right now through hard times of pain. It may be known to the church, may be known only to you. You may be going through the valley of the shadow of death right now, and it's possible that no one even knows that. The question is this, can I, will I give thanks to the Lord even when my heart is breaking, even when my body is breaking and it literally hurts pain-wise, physical pain-wise. Can I give thanks to God when emotionally I'm a wreck? I'm hurting. Maybe no one can see it. Maybe everyone can see it. Will I give thanks? Can I give thanks? And a book of the Bible that I don't like to go to for a lot of reasons, is the book of Job. The book of Job is just, it is rough. Man, it, it, there, there's no easy way to look at the book of Job. I know there are some that believe that the book of Job is, is historical. Some believe that it's kind of a morality play that's in the Old Testament, and it's kind of a fictional story. I've always kind of erred on the side of believing that Job is a real guy, and these things really happen to him. Um, but no way to look at the story of Job and have like easy answers. 
There's no way to look at the story of Job and say, oh, wow, that was, that was pleasant. I'm, I'm, I'm good now. I can, I can give thanks in the midst of pain. But Job, while not denying his pain, expressed his praise to God in the midst of the unthinkable. In the midst of an unthinkable physical pain that he was going through, but also in the midst of unthinkable emotional pain that he was going through. And he, he, he loses his, his whole family, essentially, on one day. And his response is, you know, naked I sprang from the womb and naked I shall return. Man, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May the name of the Lord be praised. Then in, uh, in, in uh, Job um, uh, 19, verses 23 through 27, then um, man, he's... he's duking it out back and forth with his, his friends, the miserable comforters that are gathered around him. Uh, and he says to them this, Oh, that my words were rec- recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in, on rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and, in the, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh... I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. Oh, he's honest about his pain. He's brutally honest. But he's also tenaciously hanging on to God and to the presence of a God who walks with us through our pain. You know, it's easy in many ways to just Take the pain that's going to come to all of us in one way or another in life. And some of us have been hit with it really hard at times. And to say, if God would allow me to go through that, then forget it. I'm out of here. But you know, there's a reality in the Bible that we see that God walks through the pain with us. That he went through the pain himself. And that even in the midst of his own pain while he suffered He invited others to be with him in his times of pain, even when he felt abandoned by God. You know, one of the the, the most ironic, bizarre, some ways troubling, confusing things in in the Bible is that the 23rd Psalm, anybody know the 23rd Psalm? We love the 23rd Psalm. I love the 23rd Psalm. Anybody know what comes before the 23rd Psalm? 22nd Psalm. Yes, you got it. And the 22nd Psalm starts off this way, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? In the midst of my groaning, I cry out to you day and night for help. And the the, the 22nd and the 23rd Psalm don't seem to get along, but Jesus quotes the 22nd Psalm from the cross, in the midst of that moment of of feeling forsaken by God, and yet knowing that God walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And getting our arms around that is hard enough, but going through it and giving thanks to God in the midst of pain is tough, but we need to do it. 
17 years ago uh, was my tough season of pain, or at least one of them in life. Uh, November of 2005 uh, was a whirlwind month for us. We have a kind of a crazy family, crazy story. Uh, but in the beginning of November uh, 2005, my wife was expecting quadruplets. We had a one and a half year old uh, child at that time, our oldest daughter, she's now 18, and my wife was expecting quadruplets. And we went uh, from Georgia where we lived at that time to Arizona to transplant and be with some specialists who were the best doctors in the world for that kind of pregnancy. And we did that in the hopes that those babies would be born around Christmas time, premature, they would have to be, but not crazy premature. Things were going so well, but in the last week of October, kind of a routine checkup, doctors thought maybe there were some blood pressure issues with my wife, and within a couple of days of just getting checked out, she was in the hospital fighting for her own life, fighting to keep the, 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 the babies in. And those babies would, would come a week later after that routine doctor's appointment, uh, and they would come each under two pounds. My wife nearly died when she gave birth to them. They were, were, were in, in rough shape, all of them. I was going back and forth between my wife's room up in the adult ICU for five days after the birth and down to the neonatal ICU where these under two pound babies were. And we had one daughter who uh, had the terrible brain bleeds and through answered prayers, recovered from them, but had another daughter that started out extremely well and then got the MRSA infection. And so November 23rd uh, was a Wednesday that year, the day before Thanksgiving. It's a Wednesday this year, the day before Thanksgiving, and it marks the 17th anniversary of when our daughter Emily went to be with the Lord. And, and when we gave her to God and said, she's yours. We, we trust you here. We trust you. But kind of a defining moment for me was at the beginning of all of that unraveling, two days after my wife went into the hospital after that routine doctor's appointment, we got the news that the babies were going to come early and there was no guarantee that anyone would survive and that it was going to be as tough on my wife as anything. And we didn't understand why because we had prayed for just this, this wonderful Christmas delivery of sort of semi-premature babies and knew it wasn't going to happen. And so I spent the night with my wife uh, at the hospital uh, and you know, we knew that this was imminent and didn't know how it was going to turn out. And I, I snuck over to the, the church that was uh, helping us out during that time um, in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And I knew about as many people at that church as I know at this one, you know, just wonderful people of God that were reaching out to us. And during the time of singing on that morning, the song that came up, it's called Blessed Be Your Name. And it's really taken straight from the book of Job. It's taken straight from the book of Job. And I remember singing this song with tears coming down my eyes and just saying, God, I'm trying to, to mean this. I'm trying to mean this. It says this, blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. 
Yeah, I can say, blessed be your name then. The next line says, blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. But blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and take away. You give and take away. But my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. I need to give thanks in the midst of pain. And because I was able to give thanks in the midst of that pain, the blessings that have followed for the last 17 years mean so much more to me. Because I looked at God and said, I'm trusting you on this one. I'm trusting you that all your promises are true. I'm trusting you that no matter what happens, that even if I lose the whole family, that you'll walk with me through this and that you and your presence will be enough. That's tough gratitude, but it's doable. And we need to give thanks like that. Third context is this. I need to give thanks in the midst of my redemption. In the midst of my redemption. Have you been forgiven? Has your life been turned around? Is the life that you're living now changed forever from what it used to be and from what it would have been because God broke through the enemy lines? Because you longed for a living water that didn't even seem possible for you to have and Jesus broke through and gave that to you through the death of his son through what Jesus did for us on the cross. Is your life like that? Are you in the process of being redeemed, of being formed into the likeness of Jesus Christ in a way that will culminate in you being with him, perfected in heaven for eternity? If that is your story, And if that is my story, then you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to act like it. We're supposed to give thanks. We're supposed to have hearts that well up in gratitude to God and that take what he's given us and instead of just being like, okay, thanks, good, to take that and to pour that out in offering to God. There's a passage in Luke 7, verses 36 through 48. And it's kind of a familiar one. And I believe that there's a little bit of tongue in cheek going on here in this story with Jesus. It says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And this is a nice house. This is a nice meal. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
She is a dinner crasher. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Man, it's just a, it's an awkward scene, but it's a beautiful scene too. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, the problem with what you think when you're in the presence of Jesus is he knows what you think. You can, like, kind of try to mutter it or, you know, have a happy look on your face. But he knows. Or he, he, he can read minds. He made our minds. So Jesus answered him, which is, I think, kind of funny because he, technically he didn't say anything to him, but he did. Um, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? No brainer here. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said, which sounds like he got the correct answer and that's a good thing, but what he says next doesn't look like it. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. It is a beautiful story. And it gives us a principle that in one way is almost like a joke at Simon's expense. The principle is this. If you've been forgiven at all, then you have been forgiven much. And if you've been forgiven much, your job, your need, your responsibility, the only rational, good, right thing that you could do in response to that forgiveness is to love like crazy. It's to love much. It's to show the world how much you have been loved and forgiven and how much you are willing to love and forgive as individuals, as a church, in our families, our workplaces, our schools, wherever we go, that's supposed to be our story. The joke is this, you know, Jesus kind of says, if you've been forgiven a little, you'll love a little. How many of you in here have been forgiven a little? Anybody in here been forgiven a little? Because I don't even know what that looks like. Man, I've been forgiven a lot. You know how many sins I've been forgiven of? All of them. And there's a lot. A Christian who claims to have been forgiven a little and who loves a little might as well not call themselves a Christian. 
It's not doing any good for anybody, especially the kingdom of God. The reality is this. If our lives have been redeemed, we have the opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus, to pour out our lives in service to him, to give everything to him. And the lesson is this. Maybe real gratitude always involves the act of pouring out. Maybe the whole lesson of the Bible is that there's a God who poured out everything for us in our response of gratitude in the midst of blessing, in the midst of pain, in the midst of our redemption is to pour out everything to him. How do you do that? Well, the rest of your life is your assignment to go figure that out. There's some great ideas here on the back of your bulletin, some good seasonal ones, some good just ongoing ones. But my life is supposed to be like Paul said to the Philippians. He said, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, then good. I'm glad, and you ought to be glad too, and rejoice with me. Our lives are supposed to be poured out in service to the Lord, a drink offering. You know, that's kind of the secret of what happened there uh, in Bethlehem, is that David knew about a thing that was part of the Old Testament law, part of that dimly lit, well-furnished room, was that, you know, the, the harvest that came and the, 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 the wine that you got, there was this thing called a drink offering where you offered the best of the first fruits of your grains and things like that, but also liquid things. And a drink offering was where you just pour out something that you could consume yourself to the Lord. And David saw in the midst of a non-temple kind of situation, a place where God through others had done everything for him and all he could do was pour it back out in response to God and in service to others. And that's what our lives are supposed to be as well. Father, we thank you, Lord, that in the midst of all that we can go through in this life, um, you just don't leave us alone. The context of our life is one where you offer us redemption, where you've broken through the lines, where you've offered us new life, and in our best days, in our darkest days, you're right there with us. And Lord, you give us the opportunity to express gratitude to you, to pour out our hearts in prayer and in praise and in service and in a million other ways. And all we have to do is look at the example of Jesus and to go and do likewise. Lord, help us to do that. And we ask that thanksgiving would just be a part of who we are because we're a part of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, 
We invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.